Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for coming back again uh, during this difficult time. And we won't specify what difficult time because it seems every time we turn on the TV or wake up and open our eyes, it's something else designed to just take us out of what normal would be, quote unquote normal. So uh, just know that uh, we're still here. You're still here. If you're still here, I'm glad you're still here. Uh, you can always find us on our Anchor page, again, at anchor.fm forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. You can find us on Instagram, at Fuel Your. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. And, of course, you can find us on Seattle Wave Radio. Just click on seattlewaveradio.com, and there is a link in the banner that'll take you directly to our content page. Uh, but like I said, I hope everyone's doing well, keeping as safe as relatively possible. Uh, we are glad to have you back around. Uh, with me today, I have a, a, a longtime friend, very longtime friend. We used to uh, be internet vigilantes together. And uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about what that means. But uh, I want to welcome to the Feel Your Fandom podcast, uh, Matt Luria. Thank you, Kevin. How you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. Thank you. So, Matt, in addition to being a former uh, vigilante on the internet, Matt is also a school teacher, a father yep. of a set of lovely twins, um, avid vehicle enthusiast. Um, I'll let you talk a bit about what, uh, what you do. What, what kind of, what do you teach, Matt? Uh, I teach English language development or English as a second language to high school students, uh, nine through 12. Um, my specialty is, uh, dealing with, uh, newcomers. Um, but also in that same regard, uh, I kind of lead a newcomers academy with the support of my administration and uh, everybody in my team, we focus on our students who are recent arrivals to the country who need a lot of academic support. And that's what we do. We focus on their English language skills and their social emotional learning skills uh, and making sure that they can adapt and survive living in the United States. That's not an easy task these days, honestly. No, no, it's not. And it's a change. Uh, when I first got hired, I taught high school Spanish. Um, and I did that for about, uh, four years straight. And then for the past, I'd say about six years, I've done ESL here in Oklahoma. Nice. Well, uh, uh as a teacher, uh, we, we do appreciate what you do and we thank you for that. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of teachers have been really having to find new ways to do their jobs in this global pandemic that we've been a part of. And it's actually oh, been yeah. really fascinating to watch the evolution and, and a very rapid and, and sudden evolution of teaching going from being in a face-to-face -to, -face to uh, in an online space. Uh, what have your uh, challenges been with that? Well, um, uh, aside from having two, two toddlers at home all trying to do virtual <laughs> teaching online and then want to get in on the cameras and the Zoom meetings and everything else and, uh, you know, have conversations, 
uh, some of the things I, I've seen and my wife has seen as well is uh, the huge disparity for kids in terms of internet access and the quality of the internet access. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the other uh, things is that we've seen is access to reliable technology. Um, yeah, kids may have a cell phone and yeah, they may have a, a data plan, but they may not have a lot of data. They may not have access to Wi-Fi at home and, and that affects things. And just because they have the phone doesn't mean they have a computer at home either. That may be their only piece of technology. Right, yeah, and that's, and, and, and I kind of see what you mean by a disparity because it's definitely like, we got lucky with our kids. Uh, my son, who's 15, uh, his school assigned him a Chromebook so he's able to do his work from home anyways. And then uh, my daughter, I just happened to have an extra Chromebook lying around. I used to buy computers at pawn shops and try to refurb them and do what I can with them just for fun and ended up picking that one up for like 35 bucks. And so uh, I luckily, I and I wasn't doing anything else with it. I can't use the Chrome uh, platform for anything really that I do. So it, it was sitting there. So luckily it got some use, but yeah, definitely there's a lot of uh, uh, people out there that don't have access to that kind of technology. And as you said, um, internet is such, there's such a, a wide range of internet speeds and availability based on where you live. People out in the rural areas don't maybe necessarily have a whole lot of choice as to who they use or if they use or yeah. it's, it's, and Oklahoma is very rural, so oh yeah, we we uh, in fact our our governor recently vetoed a rural broadband bill that would force um, AT and T and uh, Cox Communications and um, I want to say Windstream expand their broadband offerings to rural communities. So they vetoed that. Yeah, he vetoed it because uh, he didn't like how the bill was being fu uh, funded and uh, all that because it would have raised everybody's um, uh, fees on their internet access by, by a dollar. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd be more than willing to pay that dollar if it would help some kid go to school or even if it helps some kid get on YouTube and kill a little time, who gives a shit? Internet is so rapidly becoming less of a uh, want and more of a need. I mean, you can't do shit without the internet. No, anymore. I mean, and, uh, you know, our our house is, is uh, wholly wired throughout the entire house for for internet. Mm -hmm. um, and when we moved into the house, we got kind of lucky because uh, there was a new build. What uh, happened was, um, I had, after we had just moved in, I got a second job teaching Korean students online. I was teaching them English um, through computer and through a phone line. But I had to have um, a second cable connection because Cox Communications, out where I live, they weren't offering gigabit Ethernet. They now are. But um, they would repeatedly have outages out where we were. And so I was like, uh, I'm going to get a, a business account because it's only 30 bucks more a month and get dual lines run to our house and still have it. And it's a godsend. 
Nice. And you do a lot of stuff online outside of work as well. That's one of the things yeah. that I, we're going to talk about today. But uh, uh, something that just not a whole lot of people are, are aware of. Me and you, we've been friends for like 16 years, something like that. Yeah, I want to say 16, 17 years. It's been a, it's been a hot minute. And we became friends uh, thanks to uh, an online community, which this, this podcast, this episode of the podcast is about online communities. But uh, the community that we became a part of uh, was through a group called Perverted Justice. Now, before yeah. anyone out there get any kind of funny ideas about what that means, I just want to do a little bit of explanation. The TLDR of the whole thing is that uh, back when I was in uh, college, uh, my junior year, <laughs> yeah, my junior year, I discovered perverted justice. And so I started having these conversations with the founders of the website, Frank, and with uh, Xavier Von Erk, uh, who's the the founder now left in, com in command in charge of the, of the website. But uh, we were talking about what it is that they did is basically the long and short of it is they would find people who were trying to meet kids online in chat rooms and publicly dox them on the internet, uh, release their information, release them to scrutiny, release them to uh, the internet hordes as it were, and let them have at them. Um, and as I studied them, I told him, I said, I was going into uh, a filmmaking class uh, in my senior year, and what I wanted to do was focus on making a documentary about uh, perverted justice and the work that they do. And so I followed the website for over a year and uh, documented and interviewed and and did this, that, and the other thing. And by the time I was through with all of that and I had released my documentary, uh, it had been more than a year, like almost a year and a half. And I told Xavier at that point, I'm like, look, man, I know too much. I can't not want to help. What can I do? And he's like, well, you've been here long enough. You know what we do. You know how we do it. Congratulations. You're a contributor. Let's get going. And so I was one of those. If any of you out there have ever watched one of these in, uh, was it, was it NBC? I think it was NBC. Yeah, it was NBC. NBC's Dateline uh, to catch a predator series. Uh, what you saw was, uh, Dateline in these houses, uh, setting up sting operations to catch these guys uh, who were talking to uh, underage people online or who they thought were underage people online. And surprise, surprise, I was one of the people that these people were talking to instead of a 13-year-old girl or boy or whatever it was. And that's what I used to do. That's my internet vigilantism. That was my internet community for like five years more than that yeah then, i uh, i mean i was involved from 2000 gosh i want to say 2004 maybe 2003 i'd have to go back and and look at some of my old uh, yahoo transcript files that i happen to save um but yeah i got started um i was actually in a oklahoma yahoo chat room uh uh, sports chat group and there of course you know there were kids in there as well and somebody came in and uh, started posting that this one person tried hitting up a kid for sex on the internet and 
was sending this kid pornography material and it's like whoa and then they shared a link to the chat log and i was like uh yeah that's not right and um uh th this was back when yahoo didn't actually have actual chat moderators in their chat room uh anybody could start a room and oh it was the uh, wild wild west back then yeah yeah it was unlike aol back in the day um they actually had chat moderators in every single room uh and even if you created a room in aol unless it was a personal private chat room you had a, an AOL chat moderator in there. You didn't see them, but they were in there. Um, but yeah, a uh, bunch of us, uh, every time he'd come in, we'd shoo him out and he ended up having to leave after that. Um, and, you know, started following along with the website and uh, reading all the chat logs and got into, uh, you know, doing the background researching, the IP tracing, um, occasionally doing the photo analysis if they did pictures of buildings outside, um, you know, using that information to figure out, okay, where are they actually at? <laughs> yeah, and that was a huge part of what we did. Uh, we used to call that the follow-up forums. Yeah. And, and all of this uh, stuff that we used to do was uh, moderated and, and done online in these a particular set of forums and and uh, so we had people do different things there were content creators who would create these fake uh, profiles I always created my own I was just stubborn I was a bit more type A than that but uh, yeah, you cre I, I, create I, your I own profiles and yeah and and, and then the follow-up forums is as we get information from these guys that they would send us like oh I live in this area of town and we've seen a picture we've seen a car maybe they sent a picture of their car with their license plate or we uh, there's a bunch of people who would be tracking down uh personal information online uh and and that was an invaluable part of what we were doing at that point and uh yeah. it just we, if you want to talk about an online community that was one of my very first instances of being a part of a community of people that I had a never met uh, in real life and B um, had this such a strong bond with because you're, you're in there in the trenches. Basically, this is basically horrific shit you're dealing with. Oh, because I mean, some, some of those chat logs were so disturbing. I mean, uh, I sometimes I have to, you know, take you know a whiskey drink then a vodka drink after it <laughs> yeah i i uh, would never i would never drink while i was doing these chats but there were definitely nights where i would be done with it and and i would lose myself after a while because you're talking to the scum of the internet and uh, uh, uh these people there were people that would actually try and defend the rights of these individuals that were caught not only by us but the ones that were caught by the cops and uh, caught by dateline and, and aaron showed up to this house to meet this underage child that they had arranged a meeting with only to be greeted with you know dateline and cameras and uh there was a lot of people unfortunately who would be defending this kind of action saying it was a witch hunt and 
they weren't actually there to do this. And it's like, no, they, with as many arrests and convictions as we had stacked up, it's evident that they were there to do harm to a minor. Yeah. And, and, and really, I don't care what side of the spectrum you fall on. Uh, you can agree with what uh, Perverted Justice and Dateline did. You can disagree. That's your purview. That's absolutely your choice. But you'll never talk me out of the fact that these conversations that I was having with these grown-ass ignorant men would have been had with a child if it wouldn't have been for people like us standing in their way. Yeah. And it could have potentially led to something disastrous. And especially now, after all these years, I have kids of my own. It's difficult to fathom uh, yeah. them uh, just let man. loose on the internet. So, Well, and, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff um, with, with high school kids. You know, they, they post up on Snapchat and Instagram and Oh God! I, I I am so against Snapchat. I mean, I I have the ad just for the filters to take uh, goofy pictures with my kids every once in a while. But uh, I save those pictures onto my phone. I don't post them on there. Um, Instagram I post on, but you know, some of my former kids I, I follow them on on Instagram, uh, and I'm just like, you probably should go through and delete all the pictures that you took of you in high school that have identifying information. <laughs> yeah. It's such, and people they, are so unwilling to, they just, they're, pu they're putting everything out there. Oh it's like, yeah. It's, you're not even making it difficult for these people anymore. No. Like, and, and you look at things like the, on Facebook, you see all the different, uh, uh, boredom quizzes and shit that pop up. And it's like, Oh, Hey, uh, what was the name of your first dog? Oh, what was the street you grew up on? It's like, no, stupid. They're getting all of your information. Yeah. And you just want to crack heads, but it's like, no, that's not my job anymore. I don't do that. Nope. It's not. <laughs> but I mean, uh, it, it's bad enough. I have to get on uh, my wife and occasionally my mother-in-law with their, their password choices. But, you know, hey, <laughs> if they want to get hacked because they, they used a password that you can find in the dictionary, eh, you know, hey. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I want to say back then it was the Wild West, but the internet really never changes. It's, it's always going to find a way uh, for slime to rise to the surface, unfortunately. And yeah, uh, in particular, cer different. certain bits of slime that have risen to the top of Twitter, even. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, we won't get into that. We're not, we're not a political show. Then uh, I don't think we have enough time for it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, that would take a lot of time, and uh, we don't have that kind. Of, I don't have that kind of mental capacity right now. With all the negative shit going on in the world right now, I like to try uh, at least with the podcast and focus on positive and focus on the nerdier shit, the things that make everybody happy. And um, it's it's difficult sometimes. I've become. I keep telling people I've become kind of a new age nerd. I I, I don't really do the rage against. Uh, people I disagree with anymore. I don't do that toxic fandom as much as possible. Every now and again, people slip up and they get into it. But by and large, people are going to like what they're going to like. They're going to not like what they don't like. 
doesn't mean I have to feed into it. And I try not to feed into it anymore. I just try to tap into people's passions and, and the things that they're excited about because that gets me excited. So. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it, it's kind of funny. My wife, she really wasn't into uh, the arrow when it first uh, aired, mm-hmm. but uh, she got into it after the, the first season. She really liked it. And then she was like, wait, this is based on comics. And so we got all of the, uh, this was a, a few years ago before the kids, we went down to Dallas to um, Fan Expo and we got literally the entire run of the Green Arrow and Black Canary comics. We're talking nice. 200 comics. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, really cool. And the guy here was like, you want to buy all of them? And she was like, uh, yes. <laughs> what, what, I really have always enjoyed the stories, uh, particularly of uh, Green Arrow, uh, in the comics, uh, more so than in the TV show, but I did enjoy the TV show. But yeah, in the it, comics, he's what they call a social justice warrior. And there's such a, a stank put on that phrase these days because of the internet and because of, yeah, righteous or unrighteous indignation, but uh, Oliver Queen from the very beginning, as far as I'm aware, was a social justice warrior, very much in that Robin Hood vein of things. As I take from the haves and give to the have-nots, it's why they base his entire outfit, his entire demeanor, on social justice, and and, and it was really kind of neat to see a character like that take center stage. Uh, unfortunately, this show's gone now. Uh, it doesn't yeah. look like it's coming back. So, no. Well, I mean, they. He's. I think it was uh, a while back. He said that he had it in him to do one, maybe two more seasons, and that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's physically taxing on him. Oh yeah. You um, watch him climb that, that salmon ladder. Oh yeah. They they have one of those at, at our gym at our lifetime gym and when I was like I've gotta be able to get myself in good enough shape to where I can do that. <laughs> no, sir. Nope, I don't ever th- I've 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 let my wife know that I will never be in that kind of shape and I think she's finally come to terms with it. But uh anyways, <laughs> be that as it may. Uh we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back we'll have more with uh my friend Matt. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, welcome back. We are chatting with Matt Luria from Oklahoma. Now, Matt, when we met, you were, like I said, we were part of the same uh, vigilante online watchdog group, Perverted Justice. Uh, my, my nickname, for anyone out there who thought I was hiding back in those days, I never did. Uh, my name was The Director mostly because I was the director of that uh, uh, documentary that they did. So 
Uh, that's how my name stuck. But uh, what was your uh, handle by that back then? Uh, mine was Sooner Justice. Because um, you're. Uh, I, I really didn't hide myself too much. Um, the only reason why I did uh, for a brief period um, was because I worked for a, a large IT firm that had a lot of DRD contracts. And so I had to mm. uh, protect a, a, a few things uh, um, in order to keep my security clearance, which ironically I still have, even though I haven't worked in IT for 12 years now. That's a whole different industry now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot more family friendly. So, But uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy how many people thought that we were just, hiding in the shadows online and we even had a, a vigilante group trying to take us down and dox us because they thought we were doing uh, harm online and by exposing these people in these chat rooms and and uh, one of them specifically targeted me uh thinking that i was xavier thinking that i was just another one of his online profiles and so they started digging into who is he what does he do and I, I put my picture up there. I'm like, look, this is me. Here's where I live. Come at me, bro. I, I, you don't scare me. <laughs> One of those, I'm on the right side of history. Are you, you know? Yeah. And so I never worried about it, but uh, we all had our handles, our online uh, handles. Uh, yeah, so in fact, all my, all my handles since then have always had sooner in them in, in some way. And that's because of where you're at? That's a regional thing? Uh, well, born and raised here in Oklahoma. Uh, I went to the University of Oklahoma, uh, and that's where I got my bachelor's in arts and Spanish. And, um, you know, of course, I'm a big football fan, but um, I've identified more with being an Oklahoman than being the son of a damn Yankee, you know, so... <laughs> Well, and and a well, not technically a New York Yankee, but a Connecticut Yankee. So, uh, well, you know, we take what we can, and we yep. become who we are. But uh, you do a lot of online gaming, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I do. I wanted to kind of talk to you about that. Now we we talk about community building, and mm -hmm. we talk about the friends online that we meet and have never met in person. Uh, I've got a, a whole group of people that I'm still friends with since like 99, 98, 99. I used to run an online uh, Star Wars role-playing, text-based role-playing game. Oh, man, I still have my Star Wars role-playing books up in the attic, along with my AD&D books and Palladium books. So Nice. D6 or D20? Uh, Star Wars. Star Wars, um, I want to say it's the... Uh, D21 based off of the Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. I had a bunch of those too. I don't think I have many of those anymore, but uh, when I switched to digital everything, I think I got rid of a bunch of that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, one of the guests that I had on recently, um, Eric Trotman, uh, he used yeah. to work for Wizards of the Coast and he used to work for uh, online role-playing games. And that's how I met him was uh, he... Uh, worked at one of the local comic book shops and uh, is now married to the shop's owner and 
you know, he's a very, very good friend and he does all my graphic design work and everything like that. But uh, he used to write for the old uh, West End Games campaigns and things like that. And so it was really cool. Wow. But uh, I had this group of online people back in 99 and 98, 99, leading up to episode one, uh, who would do, we would take turns writing little chapters of this online role-playing game and just, and go from there. And I'm still friends with a few of them. Um, and it's interesting. I've never met either of them in person. And I mean, I've never met you in person and I've known you a great long time. I've never met Jim in person. I've never met, uh, well, about, I'd say about 70% of the perverted justice people that we interacted with was all solid online. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think I met, um, uh, a couple, uh, of the contributors. I want to say, uh, Scott. And then there was another one that lived in Florida and I'm trying to remember, uh, who that was. Uh, but, um, there's so like many really lived, uh, in the same time that my parents had a condo in. And, uh, one time he and I met, met for beers. Nice. Uh, before this whole pandemic shit started, we were supposed to go to uh, Las Vegas in uh, October, and I doubt that's going to happen now, but uh, we were setting up to go to Vegas in October, and uh, we were going to hopefully hook up with Jim uh, and get beers with him, but I don't know that that's going to happen now, unfortunately, but yeah, it's 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 a weird time, but... Now, what kind of online gaming community are you a part of? What do you do? Well, um, the the group of guys that I play a lot of my games with uh, met most of them through EVE Online. And okay. uh, the guy that kind of leads the group, um, his name is Benjamin Coleman, but he goes by Car Builder uh, and EVE. Nice guy. And um, he, uh, he and I met um, in the EVE help chat. And um, we were both directed to a uh, chat called The Angel Project, uh, run by Sindel Pellian. She's on Twitter. She does a lot of Twitch streaming. And her, her Angel Project, she gave away a bunch of free stuff to, to new players in EVE. And um, she pointed me to this corporation, uh, group of guys that I met um, online. Like, we would talk on the phone. Um, uh, while we were playing Eve and, and all that, mining stuff, doing logistics and, and things like that. See, you've got it up on me. I don't do a whole lot of online gaming. And I talked with Jim about this specifically too because uh, a lot of what I, my video gaming is is retro-style video gaming. And I have something like 80 different consoles and handhelds if you put them all together. And um, that's definitely where my passion lies. But... As far as I used, the only online gaming I ever really did was uh, back in the day, I tried to do a little bit with the Star Trek online game. I didn't get very far with it. Uh, I tried I, to play the original I, Star I Wars online. Ugh. Yeah. Turns uh, out it wasn't the games. The games are just fine. It's me. I, I can't play with people online. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I mean it's a lot of babysitting and, and I wasn't really in the mood to babysit, I guess. Yeah. There, there's a lot of games where you have to do a lot of babysitting and Eve online. I mean, most of the time it, it's pretty mindless. Um, 
which, which is nice. And we have fun uh, on there. Um, but, you know, a couple of us, we play on our PlayStation 4s, and we, uh, we play a couple of games on there. My wife enjoys playing on the PlayStation 4. Um, she likes playing World of Warcraft. I played that game for about four years, and after a while, I was like, okay, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm getting that way with uh, – I jumped on board the for the first time. I've never played this series before, but Animal Crossing on the Switch – uh, it happened right as this whole pandemic set in, and a lot of people got. I got. I got no bars to go to. I got no band to go to. I got no practice to do. So outside of the podcast, it's really just uh, rearrange my house and, and and fuck around with these new games. And so I played. Uh, I really. I've been really intent on playing Animal Crossing, and that's as close to online gaming with other people as I've come in so many years. And even then, my online interactions are either with, like, one of half a dozen friends who play the game. Or if I've got turnips to sell, I'll go on the – I don't know if you – have you seen anything about this game? Yeah, yeah, I have. We don't have a Nintendo Switch. Thought about getting one for for anniversary, but um... – With both of you being avid gamers, you'll need two. <laughs> well, I mean, we – it's funny. We have one controller on the PlayStation Four, and we 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 share it. Um, you know, she's got Sims Four on there. I I loaded that on there for her, and she'll play it, and I'll I'll watch her play it. Um, and she finds that pretty relaxing. And um, nice. uh, she also um, plays Zelda Scrolls on there. Um, Okay. Which he enjoys. Um, and I haven't. I haven't delved into Elder Scrolls Online. I, I mostly, sp- I spent hundreds of hours playing Skyrim. Yeah, but I did, like, back again, the, the thought of jumping into an online community with that, like I think we're both we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Is is you do a lot of your gear online because you enjoy interacting with people, whereas yeah. I do a lot I'm of mine offline. Yeah, and, and I'm not. For being in a band and being in front of people all the time, I'm really more of a homebody. I don't I don't hang out at bars very often. I don't I'll go to shows occasionally, but and, and definitely to support other artists that I know or like, but just going out to go out, I don't really do it very often anymore. And that's such a vast change from who I was even a dozen years ago. So I just I find I find it a lot of online babysitting, and I find it's a lot of uh, uh, interaction with people that I don't want to interact with, and and having to deal with other people's BS. Which if I wanted that, I could go to Facebook and get that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny. We we kind of have a a rule and just enough bullshit to keep it entertaining. I tell people like. They ask me, oh, you got to play online and everything. I'm like, no, I got a 15-year-old. If I need drama, I've got it in-house. So, yeah, yeah. But, well, uh, and, like, we, we have a rule, you know, no drama, um, all of that. And, you know, even, even some of our wives are, are in this group, so it, it's always interesting. Um, and occasionally, you know, the wives will get on uh, TeamSpeak because we use TeamSpeak for communications for for games and uh it's funny you know you'll hear the kids in the background or the kids will get on and and chat with us and 
you know, we're, we're very much a family family group and like, well, we're going to take one more quick break and then we will come back and talk a little bit more with uh, Matt Luria. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step -step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. And we're back. So now, uh, this whole time we've been talking about online communities, good, bad, and ugly, and, and doing this, that, and the other thing. But what I think well, we haven't really covered a whole lot of is the fact that in the world that is so rapidly becoming in one uh, facet divided um, by politics or by whatever you want to say, uh, we also have to face the fact that with technology, we are becoming more and more connected online as well. Um, as a musician, I'm part of several different musicians' communities online, and it's uh, mostly local. Uh, to the Seattle area, um, but I, I interface a lot with uh, different musicians. We listen to each other's music. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do re recording and critiquing. Uh, we'll support each other through live shows when we're allowed to go to live shows and things of that nature. And, and so that's very much patterned after a lot of these online communities uh, that we've discussed. Um, what do you feel... Uh, about the future of technology and the future of these online communities. We're coming into things like uh, augmented reality. And we're coming into things like virtual reality is more of a mainstay player in the things that we do day to day online. Um, do you think that's going to be helpful to building these online communities? Well, I, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, I'm, I'm in a couple of, uh, uh, home brewing groups uh, in my local area. Uh, craft You're very much into beer. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We've talked so, beer a couple uh, of times. Yeah, my father-in-law and I have uh, started uh, teaming up on, on beers, and uh, he kind of bit the bug on that and been doing that. But um, hey, there's worse things to build. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, you know, in some of these groups and cause a lot of the microbreweries here in Oklahoma, which is some that's only happened within the past five years here in Oklahoma. Um, a bunch of them, when this pandemic hit, they start asking around in, in these brewer groups and, um, and some of the brewers were even communicating together uh, privately um, about uh, how can we, still continue to get our products into our customers' hands. And so a lot of them 
came up with the idea of uh, doing curbside service, which they petitioned the uh, state liquor uh, commission to, to allow, which they did. Um, also home deliveries, uh, which was some that uh, we were able to have until uh, a couple of weeks ago, which uh, granted I live out in the country. So that that's not something that I was able to partake in because um, they could only deliver within 15 miles of the, the brewery okay. and, uh, that you ordered from. And most of these breweries I'm about, 25 30 miles away from so damn um yeah i know it, it, that really was a, a sucker punch but um but uh, a lot of the brews um i would drive down and do a curbside order um especially the ones that that we liked uh and supported um and it was just real interesting seeing a lot of the brewers uh even teaming up to help each other out in terms of canning um feeling growlers, sharing of employees, um, you know, things that you would not normally see, um, you know, competitors do, they were actually actively working together. Um, That's to, revolutionary. To yeah. And, you know, I have to give credit to, to one of our brewers here who kind of got it all started, uh, Eric Marshall. I mean, he, He's done a great job with his, his brewery and, and all that, but he actively encourages uh, breweries opening up and like he will pay him a visit and he kind of helps them out. I mean, he, he gives them good advice and, and all that. So, and I mean, that, that's a class act. I mean, he could, you know, take everybody, take out all of his competition if he wanted to, but he knows the only way a good business can thrive is if there's competition. Right. Because if you're the only game in town, people get bored with you quick. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what actually happened in, in Oklahoma. We had two breweries in, in Oklahoma, one in Oklahoma City, one in Tulsa. The one in Tulsa, uh, it lasted like four years. And they made it to where they were the only uh, brewery in town. Mm -hmm. and after their first year and it it torpedoed the the brewery uh revolution here in oklahoma i'd say for about 10 years wow well yeah we talk about building these communities and and even now and i think especially now during these pandemics we're really starting to see the fruits of these online communities uh, being developed because we see things like uh, being able to switch so quickly to an online teaching model, for instance. Right. Uh, we see people being able to switch to uh, online trivia games and pub games, online um, meetings with uh, different video games online where they're still able to interact with their friend circle, even if they're not allowed to uh, go out and hang out with their friend circle. It's really been instrumental, I think, in creating this environment where I don't want to say it's no big deal because it's definitely a big deal. I mean, not being able to leave the house is a huge friggin' deal. Yeah, yeah. But it lessened the blow of it, I guess, and it wasn't so present as it could have been because we're able to do things like text messaging and 
and video chat FaceTime. yeah and facetime and you can get with your buddies on playstation and do some call of duty or uh you can go play world of warcraft or you could play all this different shit and you have this avenue of connecting with the people that you'd be connecting with anyways and and, and likewise with uh community resources like you're saying sharing and talking on social media about uh small business and how to best support small business during this crisis and it's just amazing to watch innovation take place in real time almost it and, it is and you know i i think kind of one of the the advantages of a good community like our neighborhood hoa uh, we, we have our own Facebook group and yeah, you know, occasionally, you know, as all HOAs, everybody's got, got beef, but, uh, there were people, um, actively getting, um, food trucks to come and visit the neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. there, there was one, uh, person who posted, you know, Hey, does MA want any masks? cloth masks, you know, my husband, and I will gladly make, make masks, uh, and sell them, you know, for cheap for anybody that wants them. Um, there was also a couple of people in the neighborhood offering, uh, to go food shopping for, uh, those who were essential workers and, uh, doctors and nurses and for people who couldn't get out of the house. And so I think, I did a little bit of that too because I'm in the grocery stores all day too. I did a little shopping for other people as well who couldn't leave the house. Yeah. And, and I did the same for, for my in-laws. Um, you know, I, I was the one that went out shopping. Uh, that way my wife and kids could stay home and it reduce, you know, risk of exposure. But um, I think, you know, if an online community has a good, I don't want to say moral fiber, but I guess in a way that'd be the most apt description um, or a good found, good foundation at least of a common idea or a common principle that they want to follow. Mm -hmm. That is what will probably, you know, save society in general is if we go back to having that strong foundation that everybody can get behind and support, even in these divisive times, I think the only way we can, you know, kind of beat some of that down is by having an open, frank discussion and, and setting a clear groundwork. And, um, you know, just this past year, you know, the city of Tulsa, uh, it used to be that the, the uh, Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921 was actually called the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921. And, the the commission behind it they went back through and was looking at some of the verbiage used in some of the old uh, newspaper articles and uh, took into consideration a lot of the racial undertones of some of that same verbiage that was used in the newspapers in the day to figure out okay was it being underplayed or was it being accurately represented in and they discovered it wasn't being accurately represented. So they changed it from riot to massacre. And, you know, granted that caused a, an uproar with a bunch of people, but at the same time, they're like, look, we have to have a frank discussion. 
about you know the events that caused this. And yeah, because if you're not all clear on the details, it's gonna it's gonna get muddy, and people aren't gonna understand the depth and severity of what actually took place. Yeah, and and it was actually you know one of these things that nobody talked about for a good um, I want to say ninety years. I mean, because when I was in high school, again, this was in the nineties, and I went to a fairly liberal church. I grew up Unitarian, and I still am, but. The church that I went to, they were actively involved in the findings commission that dealt with finding out all the information on the riot and what led up to it, what happened, because literally it was one of those things that was never talked about by right, anybody they swept south it of uh, uh, Pine Street, which is... is Part somewhere at the north side of, of town, but uh, anybody south of, of Main Street never talked about uh, what happened to the Greenwood Cultural District in, in 1921. Right, because if you don't talk about it, it didn't happen. Exactly, yeah. And then that can't be anymore. And especially as we're seeing things online as, as what's happening now in our country is uh, for anybody uh, wondering when this was recorded, uh, we're in the midst of the riots caused by the death of George Floyd. Uh, let's not, no, even there, even there, even mm -hmm. there, I said the death of George Floyd. No, caused by the murder of George Floyd. No, I definitely uh, agree with that. It was definitely a, a murder. And Anyone who's seen that video knows what the hell it is. And, and if they, they choose to not to see it, then they're just putting blinders on themselves. And, and again, I promised we wouldn't get... Uh, uh, too political with this thing. Uh, I don't I'm even give a shit where you stand on which side of the line about the protesters. But the fact of the matter is there are riots currently in progress uh, due to the racially motivated killing of uh, George Floyd. And it looks bad. It looks really bad. It's going to take a long time to come to kind of grips with what has taken place and and I think a large percentage of what's going to heal that divide is not just um, the connectivity of online communities because we are all experiencing it online maybe we're not on the front lines I'm not uh, in uh, Minnesota uh, no. my sister is my, my mother lives up there I've got friends over there um, so I'm living through it through their eyes, but we've got protests in Seattle, in Portland, in Texas. We've had them. We've had them here in Tulsa and in Oklahoma City. The, it's everywhere. Lots in Oklahoma City uh, actually got pretty violent. Um, so did Seattle last night. Yeah, but, and it's crazy. And again, uh, I don't think that violence is necessarily the answer. And I've said this online previous to this, but I think that when you ignore a situation for as long as you do or try to whitewash a situation, uh, like much like you said they did with the Tulsa bombings, mm -hmm. uh, when they take the word massacre and replace it with riot, you're selling it short. So when... Yeah. what And they actually dropped uh, bombs on... Uh, American neighborhoods. Yeah, and... 
the Greenwood district, they, they actually dropped bombs. I mean, they're not the bombs that, you know, we would think of modern day bombs. They were basically um, glass canisters filled with gasoline and uh, lit. And so when they break, they, they'd cause fire. Um, bomb is a bomb. But they did that in, in 1921 uh, to largely predominant uh, and very wealthy uh, black neighborhood in, in Tulsa. And I mean, and this is the 99th uh, anniversary of it. Next year's the 100th anniversary. And uh, we're still here. Crazy. Yeah. And, and we're still having to have this conversation. And, and, and like I was saying, I think that a large part of this online community building as we're seeing come into play now, we're able to uh, live vicariously through the people who are taking place in this and who are uh, suffering through this. And we are able to band together a bit more because of technology. And in mm -hmm. fact, technology is the only reason this the dude was arrested. Yeah. There's only been uh, one arrest so far as of this recording. But uh, the video was shared far and wide um, on social media. And that was the only, I mean, and, and the reason the riots and protests started uh, in general, and from my estimation, was because quick enough action wasn't taken and because they waited so long to do justice that it looked like they were going to cover it up like they do every single time. And the online community swole up and, and was able to be like, no, this is not going to happen. And so things got mobilized and, 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 and advanced because of that. But I think a large part of the healing from this as well once we hopefully get to that point is going to come through that same connectivity, that same uh, group building, that same uh, ability to lean on each other, even digitally, if we're not there. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, one of the things I, I always tell my, my students, um, both English speaking and my, my Spanish speaking students is, you know, be careful with who you befriend online, obviously. But once you actually get to know the person behind the screen name and actually get to know them and read their uh, text that they send you and know that, okay, this person isn't fake. You know, right. this person actually exists. Um, and they are who they say they are. Um, you know, Start building up a community that you feel comfortable with. Just don't send friend requests to everybody you play GTA online with. On, on yeah, you got you got to be selective. Yeah, you got to be selective, and and same thing with Instagram. You know, just because somebody uh, starts following you, look at them. Look look at you know how many tweets and stuff they have, or tweets, but uh, posts they have on Instagram. And if they look suspicious, block them and <laughs> don't yeah, interact there, with them. There's a lot negative online. And, and it used to be my MO to be kind of suspicious of online friends and online community. And, uh, Perverted Justice really did put a, a huge red flag in my way to try and interact with people that way. But it's lifted. And, and being able to see who people are on social media and being able to see who people are on um, video games and things like that, I think is a real big, uh, 
a boon to being able to open up to these people and find out like-minded people and, and just be a community. Uh, one of the things that I usually do in the first segment, and I forget, and, and we kind of just jumped right into it with both feet, but I like to ask uh, the people that I interview what kind of other things that they're fans of. I mean, I know we talked about video gaming and we talked about beer and things like that, but what what, what are you fandom of? What are you, what are you a fanatic for? What are you, what oh, fuels man. your fandom? Uh, what fuels my fandom? Well, um, and I know this will chide uh, people on both sides of this camp, but uh, I, I'm a fan of, of Robotech, but I'm also a fan of the original uh, Japanese animation Macross as well. Okay. Um, uh, love Robotech because uh, that's what I grew up with. And, and of course, Transformers and, and G.I. Joe and all those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, after getting to college and uh, I lived on the international floor at my university. So I had a sweet mate who was from Japan. And when I told him I liked Robotech, he knew what it was. And he was like, oh, you mean Macross. And uh, he, he uh, had a DVD player and he had all of the DVDs of Macross mm-hmm. that we never had here in the, the United States. And so he... Uh, let me borrow his DVD player and watch all of the the animation that I'd never seen before that had never come to the United States. And uh, so re- I love both of them. Um, and then uh, it sounds like my kids are doing some good that they're supposed to be doing there in the background, which is good. Adventures <laughs> in potty training. Um, and then let's see if fan of Star Wars, fan of Star Trek. Um, but I'm also a super huge fan of uh, Babylon 5. Um, you know, that show did a lot for me growing up um, in terms of a lot of my political understanding um, and kind of how I view things. And I didn't realize that for the longest time until, um, you know, I started reading up on, you know, the hidden facts of, of the show and reading the, the conversations that the creator of the show, John Michael Straczynski has with his fans online. And, um, and I donate five bucks a, a month to his uh, Patreon um, just so that way I can interact with him uh, on his message board and discord that he has. Um, nice. And it just, the the stories of that series just impacted me profoundly um and the writing was well done the cgi was groundbreaking uh, at the time because it was uh you know done on on amiga toasters which if nobody doesn't know what those are those are basically uh video processing computers for um CGI and they had I think a whopping total of 16 megs of RAM at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, amazing. So they got but, everything. Um, you know, they. I mean, just learning everything uh, uh, about the show and all that, and you know, having a better understanding of the the history of the show really really impacted me. And then, um, I guess in terms of comics, um, you know, definitely the the old Star Wars comics uh, from, from the 90s um, in the X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, 
uh, you know, the, in, in terms of books, uh, definitely uh, Tom Clancy and Clive Cussler fan. I, I love Clive Cussler's books, and, and it's sad that he passed um, a couple of months ago because um, he always had, uh, you know, these great cars on, on the back of his uh, book covers, and those, of course, were the cars that were featured in, in the book in some way as part of the story, and uh, that kind of fueled my interest in, in cars, although I've always had a, an interest, but in terms of, like, classic old-school uh, cars from the 1920s and 30s and 40s and some of the really far-out-there cars that you really wouldn't see or hear of, and then finding out the guy is a history professor and, and an archaeologist and underwater archaeologist at that and um, does a lot of underwater recoveries. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, so if you even have a little liberal arts degree, you can find a way to contribute to society. Nice. Well, that, that helps because that's what I've got is a, a liberal arts degree from a liberal yes. arts college. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny, you know, my dad, he wanted me to get a business degree in marketing or international business. And I tried those and I'm sorry, I could not hack it in the accounting classes that, that they had. And they were designed to be weed out classes at my university. Same thing with yeah. stats. And, um, but languages and culture I was much better at. And, you know, I managed to get my bachelor's degree in, in five years. And I was actually able to do it in a year after I changed majors because I already had majority of the credits for, for the Spanish degree. And, um, you know, my, my mother-in-law, she was the one that convinced my dad, you know, saying, Hey, you know, he might be really good at getting a degree in Spanish. He's good at the language. And, if he has that degree, he'll be able to find a job anywhere. And, you know, I did end up getting a job working for an IT company, which I enjoyed um, uh, while I was there. It was nice. Um, and they hired me because I spoke Spanish uh, and, and a little bit of French. And, um, you know, it was nice. But I always tell my kids, you don't have to get a engineering degree because they're like, oh, that's where the money is. It's like, yeah, it is, but if you're not good at some of those higher math skills, what else are you good at? You know, are you good at languages? Are you good at culture? Are, are you good at writing? Um, are you good at art? Um, so there's there's always ways that you can, uh, you know, take your, your skill set and apply it to a degree or to your passion, whatever it is, and turn into potential income in the future. Which is always helpful. I wish to God I was doing something that paid the rent uh, with my uh, passions. And I'm working on that. I got the podcast and I got a short film I'm doing right now. And it's a lot of fun. So we find, we find our ways to get into our things. And so, yeah, but uh, well, Matt, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast with me today. I know it's been a long time coming. We keep, yeah, scheduling it and schedules just kind of get all screwy and uh, it's difficult sometimes but I'm glad we finally got a chance to sit down and talk and likewise and uh, who knows maybe in another episode we can talk about family or something who knows <laughs> yeah, maybe 
But well, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for coming on. And, and I want to thank uh, all of you for listening again uh, to the Feel Your Phantom podcast. And uh, uh, keep your safe, your family safe, keep yourself safe, try to stay sane. And remember what I always try to tell you is that uh, everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.